welcome to our first video episode of the YPod, uh, where we highlight everyday Wyoming leaders. And I'm very excited uh, to have our first video episode today be a virtual tour of the Cheyenne Frontier Days Old West Museum. Uh, we're joined today by Mike Castle, curator, historian, uh, article writer extraordinaire. Um, Mike, thanks for doing this for us today. Eric, thank you for inviting me. It's a delight to be here. Absolutely. Can't wait to hear what you're going to share with us. Uh, thought we might start rather than jumping right into the virtual tour. Uh, mm. I was fascinated to hear certain aspects of your background. Uh, if you could maybe tell folks a little bit about the, the journey, how you went from where you were to where you are now. I would love to. I've had a very interesting one. Um, I actually grew up here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I was brought here by the family from Alaska. Uh, we decided to come down to the lower 48 to be closer to people, and Wyoming was our next best choice to being up there. Uh, but after graduating from high school I, uh, and from Larry, Laramie County Community College here in town, I took a uh, position, or I'm, I went to school at Southeast Missouri State University south of St. Louis. Uh, so it took me far afield, and like so many young people that uh, graduate from high school, they leave the state looking for their own future. And uh, while I went to Southeast Missouri State, I got a degree in historic preservation uh, and, a, and with a leaning in museum sciences. After graduation, uh, my first position was to be the curatorial assistant at Mark Twain's boyhood home in Hannibal, Missouri, uh, where he based the story of Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Um, and so that was a wonderful uh, experience to be there, to actually see and live in where he, what uh, Mark Twain was talking about when he wrote both of those books. Um, then thereafter, he took, I uh, got a position as the director of the Gardner Museum of Architecture and Design in Quincy, Illinois, uh, where we talked about the evolution of the American home and some of the high class architecture that there was from Greek revival all the way up through uh, the 1950s. I mean, it's a wonderful city that had all of this wonderful uh, architecture. But after being gone for about 12 years, uh, my family and I decided that it was time for me to go back to school. And lo and behold, I was about two and a half hours from any major university there in Quincy and Hannibal and found, my, found out that there was a position here at, the, at uh, the Cheyenne Frontier Days Old West Museum back in my hometown. And it was a double win for me because not only was I able to uh, come back and continue my career in a museum, but I was within range of five major universities, but then decided the University of Wyoming is the best place to be. And I finished my master's degree there. And since 2001 until the present, I have uh, been at the Cheyenne Frontier Days Old West Museum, first building exhibits. Uh, now I'm the curator and assistant director. And in the middle, I got thrown in there. I had a chance to build two museums as side jobs as uh, building uh, Molly, Molly Brown's birthplace home in Hannibal, Missouri, before I came here. And then also I was uh, hopeful, helpful, if not instrumental, in building the Depot Museum downtown. Uh, just an amazing circumstance that allowed you to come home. Yes, I was very happy to do it. I'm consider myself to be very fortunate. It's wonderful to be back here in Cheyenne. Well, we're all grateful to have you here in the state doing what you do. Um, and in just a moment, we'll, we'll dive into the virtual tour. Um, for those folks who are a part of the live broadcast, what we'll do is as we go through the tour, give you the opportunity to 
field questions either in the chat uh, or in the Q&A section, whichever you're more comfortable with. I'll, I'll be fielding uh, things from both as Mike goes through the tour. Um, it doesn't mean you're required to ask questions. If you just want to enjoy the tour, you're certainly welcome to do that. But if you want to throw questions in, you're welcome to do that. Um, and also at the end, we'll try to save a few minutes before we wrap up at 12.50. Uh, we'll try to save a few minutes for any questions that, that you might have at the very end of the conversation. Um, Mike, as we start to share the tour, I'm going to pull up the uh, intro slide. For those people who might not be familiar with it, could you start by just telling us a little bit about the Cheyenne Frontier Days Old West Museum? Yes, absolutely. The Cheyenne Frontier Days Old West Museum is the largest private museum in the city of Cheyenne, actually in the entire region in southeast Wyoming. And it was created in 1978 uh, specifically to help um, protect and preserve the carriage collection that belongs to Cheyenne Frontier Days. As many of us have come to recognize, one of the great things that CFD does every year is they have that wonderful horse-drawn parade, which is unique in the world as being one of the largest horse-drawn vehicle uh, parades in the United States and also the rest of the planet. And what makes this entire collection so unique and wonderful is that all of the vehicles originated from our city. And that makes us incredibly unique. Um, there are bigger museums that have carriages, there are other parades that have more horse-drawn vehicles, but all of the vehicles that are used in our parade are, were used by people historically here in Cheyenne to help create our history. And so it was a wonderful thing to have this museum created. Uh, and since 1978, over the last 40, now 42 years, we've expanded to talk about the history of Cheyenne Frontier Days, which is an absolutely amazing event. Um, it's the first rodeo in the, uh, of its kind in the United States. It's the first grand Western celebration and is actually the model for such great rodeos as Houston, Pendleton, Calgary, um, you name it, most of the modern rodeos in the world today follow Cheyenne's pattern that it established in 1897. So we talk about Cheyenne as being the birthplace of the modern sport of rodeo, which it is. And there's a uh, certain theme that you included in the tour as well as a, a piece of art that folks will now see on their screen? Oh, yes. Well, the museum is very active. As, uh, as I was telling everybody, since we're dealing with Cheyenne Frontier Days, most museums, including the ones that I had mentioned before, all deal with the past that has already moved on, that has become history. Cheyenne Frontier Days continues to be at the forefront of the world of rodeo sports, and so it's a museum about history that's still being made, which makes it a very unique place and fun place to work. This piece you have that you see right here is a piece that I just acquired that was recently created by a renowned Cheyenne local artist, Brandon Bailey, uh, who's really turning out to be very remarkable, and that is Chris Ledoux. And uh, that is uh, Chris Ledoux and the painting's titled Wyoming Legend. We just acquired that in March. Uh, and it's just a wonderful piece. And so it just goes to show that we do talk about our history. We talk about famous people in Wyoming and Cheyenne Frontier Days, uh, but we're continuing to develop and grow and history continues to be made and we're glad to be a part of it. And we'll talk about uh, Chris again in just a few minutes as a part of the tour. Um, but if you could first, in terms of this visual, there, there might be certain thoughts that popped to mind for you initially, but there might also be some things that you would point out here that people might not uh, pull out for themselves. Yes. 
This is the entryway. This is what we call the rotunda at the Old West Museum. And this is what people first see when they come from all over the world to come visit our museum. And what we talk about inside this room is why Cheyenne is the place where all of this began to happen. What were the circumstances? We talk about Cheyenne's early history, its Wild West days, um, including the Hell on Wheels time, which is a lot of fun talking about the railroad being built through our area. Uh, but then we start talking about how Cheyenne Frontier Days grew out of a desire to preserve Cheyenne's Old West past. Uh, by 1897, the Old West was gone, and everybody realized the frontier had just been closed, and they were afraid that all of the Western heritage that we take for granted living here in our city was about to vanish. And that was 124 years ago that they were worried about this. And so they created Cheyenne Frontier Days as a means of economic development. I was actually inspired by the Union Pacific Railroad, which I'll talk a little bit about later. But what this entire room talks about is all the artifacts that we put out. We rotate several of them that talk a little bit about what Cheyenne Frontier Days was like at its very earliest moment. Uh, if people notice over there in the right-hand portion of the screen, there's a newspaper in a black frame. That is a newspaper from the very first Cheyenne Frontier Day on September 23rd, 1897. And people can look and read at those articles and they can see for themselves, that's our starting point. Um, but we have a lot of other wonderful things and probably my favorite thing to talk about is that red and yellow stagecoach that sits back there in the back. That is an original Cheyenne to Deadwood stage. It was brought here to our city in about 1868. And from 1868 till 1881, it rolled at least three times a week from Cheyenne to Deadwood, South Dakota, a distance of 300 miles there and back. And after it was retired and after uh, the Cheyenne to Deadwood stage was closed down, it was used as a taxi here in our city for several years to various hotels and otherwise. And in 1897, uh, it was actually one of the first vehicles purchased by CFD, and it was used for stagecoach holdups as something that people wanted to see uh, when the rodeo first got started. And from that point on, there's a family called the Irwins, which we'll talk about here in a second, that used it in a Wild West show and toured with that wagon for stagecoach holdups across the United States and also into Canada. Starting in 1922, that vehicle rolled in every single parade at Cheyenne Frontier Days until 2010. Uh, so it's had a lot of miles. I can't imagine another horse-drawn vehicle that has more miles on it on the face of the planet than that one right there. Um, what also makes that vehicle fun is that it was used in Wyoming's bicentennial presentation in 1976 and rolled down Pennsylvania Avenue uh, from the U.S. Capitol past the White House as Wyoming's float in representation. And so uh, it is a really remarkable piece and uh, it, it retains a lot of its character as a parade vehicle. And uh, there's even graffiti on the inside. People used to sign it once they rode in it. And we've got signatures from the 1920s and the 1930s in there. So that's probably one of my favorite pieces in that entire room. I love it, Mike. Uh, although signing now is probably discouraged. We do frown upon that, yes. <laughs> And this here's is an angle with a slightly different view. Um, right, right. Same right. Yeah, and then, so you see a little bit better that carriage. It's very rough-sided. Uh, that's a rave-sided. Uh, carriages and vehicles out here in Wyoming were built a little more rugged because of the vast distances between repair shops uh, and the rugged conditions they had to cross. But we also have some more delicate things. You can see we have some dresses in the cases back there. 
Those are uh, dresses from the 1890s uh, that we have in our textiles collection. Women wore those during the, the time that we were having our first Cheyenne Frontier Days. And so we use those as an example. And probably the highlight, of course, is the Union Pacific Shield that we have there. And the idea for Cheyenne Frontier Days actually came from an agent, a ticket agent for the Union Pacific by the name of Frederick Anger. And he was trying to drum up uh, support for ticket sales. The United States was in a depression at the, at the time of 1897. And he was trying to get various communities along the Union Pacific to come up with various events that would draw people out of Denver for a day trip, uh, buy tickets and help out the railroad. And so he went to Loveland, Colorado and started uh, what they call Corn Day. I'm not sure they still celebrate that. Then he went a little bit further up a couple of months later to Greeley, Colorado and got them to do Potato Day because that's what they grew there and he thought they could have a nice fair. Potato Day eventually grew into the Greeley Stampede, one of our favorite friends and competitors for rodeo here in the Cheyenne. But then when he got to Cheyenne, Wyoming, he asked us what we grew here that we could have a fair with. And uh, basically our city father said, we didn't raise anything around here, but a little hell from time to time. And uh, so there wasn't really anything that they could do, but he saw as he was disappointed, he went back to the depot. And as he was waiting to get on board his train, he saw some cowboys wrestling a very obstinate horse onto a boxcar. And he enjoyed the show so much. And he saw how much other people were watching every move and were rooting for the horse as much as they were for the Cowboys. He canceled his ticket, ran back to Cheyenne and said, what about something about the Cowboy and what they do on ranches? And the city fathers at that time decided that's great. We have lots of people who'd be willing to support. And there's a lot of people who loved uh, things like the Buffalo Bill Cody Wild West show. They figured they could do something like that here at Cheyenne as well. And indeed, they thought we had a, such a history in our city that it would be a tale about our community. And that's what Cheyenne Frontier Day eventually was. And it's been a success ever since. Mike, a question that comes up is about the uh, attendance levels. There was yes. the idea of Cheyenne Frontier Days in the beginning. Did it, was it an immediate hit? Did it have a slow build? Do you, do you have some perspective on that over the years? I do. Our first day, our first day uh, people in Denver were very excited because this was certainly, pardon me for saying so for Greeley, but this was much more exciting than potatoes. And so uh, the first train that came up from Denver had 4,000 people on it. And they were so thrilled by this uh, one show that they saw with cowboys doing what they did, breaking wild horses, uh, seeing Native Americans, seeing uh, soldiers from Fort D.A. Russell. They went back home and told everybody that they knew. And there was such a demand that they decided to move the event to earlier in September. And uh, they made it two days instead of one because people were starting to clamor that this needed to be better. So we had 4,000 the first year. The next year, we also had the advantage that Buffalo Bill Cody heard about Cheyenne Frontier Day and thought it would be fun to pair his show with our second event. And so he brought his entire troupe and he set up his own tent and he did his Wild West show in conjunction with Cheyenne Frontier Day. And it turned out that the very next year that the, the attendance went from 4,000 people to 15,000 people. And then it just kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger every single year after that. And now we easily have between a quarter to 300,000, a quarter of a million to 300,000 people a year that come for our 10 days. It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to think of events that draw over 50% of a state's total population the way that this event does. 
Right. And it was just absolutely remarkable is that uh, almost from the very beginning, because it was such a big deal and it made a national impact uh, about people who were wanting to see the authentic American West, that people started coming in the next year from as far away as New York City, San Francisco, and even places overseas. Some people were in the country from London and other, other uh, countries, uh, and they came to Cheyenne Frontier Days in the third year. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And finally, by 1908, we had our first international competitor that came to Cheyenne Frontier Days. His name was Ikua Purdy. He was from Hawaii and was a champion steer roper on the islands, came to Cheyenne Frontier Days and showed the cowboys on the mainland how it was done. He won Cheyenne Frontier Days in 1908. And by that time, Cheyenne's reputation was secure. We even had Teddy Roosevelt, president of the United States, come to see Cheyenne Frontier Days in 1903. And he loved it so much, he came back seven years later uh, so he could see it again. So of all the people that uh, you've had come through the museum, uh, were there any that really surprised you as far as either where they were from or how long they had waited to come to the museum, stories they might have shared? Well, you know, when I first started at the museum in 2001, having grown up in Cheyenne, I had always known Cheyenne Frontier Days was big, but I had no idea just how big. I'm stunned by how many people come from Germany. Uh, we have people that come annually from Australia. We have people that come from Saudi Arabia, several that came from China. Russia comes. Um, France is very big. They love sending people here, for, uh, or they love coming here uh, to Cheyenne Frontier Days during their holiday uh, in, uh, in late July. So it really is a tremendous worldwide event uh, that continues to draw people from around the world. And I'm consistently amazed how far people are willing to come. Uh, they make, make Cheyenne Frontier Days one of the highlights of their trip to the United States, or it is the reason they come in the first place. So in the next slide, otherwise I'll, I'll dive into stories and we won't ever move past the, the front room. I know. Uh, there are two different visuals on here as well as a slogan at the bottom. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, the, the Vandewerk Gallery, we had uh, J.D. Vandewerk uh, was a tremendous supporter of the CFD Old West Museum. And he gave the museum a tremendous amount of money to build a new expansion in 1990 and 1991. And that's where we've been in the rotunda and in this gallery right here, which we call the Vandewerk Gallery, which we're looking down through the history of Cheyenne Frontier Days as that room extends to the back. Uh, but uh, he was also a big advocate and a friend of our carriage collection, which we'll see some other examples of. And without his support, we would not be able to maintain the carriages in the shape that they are, as it is right now. Uh, so the, that's why it's called the Vandewerk Gallery. Now, if we look at that image over there on the left, that is one of our art pieces. It is a bronze that is a maquette. It's a smaller video, or it's a smaller version of a statue that sits on the grounds at the University of Wyoming. And uh, it really is quite a nice piece. It's known as, and I have the name of it right here, it's uh, holding on to a twister, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that kind of sets the tone for going down the next, the next gallery. You can see we've got an old 1906 Maxwell there. But the entire room follows the history and progression of Cheyenne Frontier Days from 1890 all the way into the present. You get, by the time you get to that back wall, you're up with current events. Now, this other picture that I have over here, the Irwin family tribute that we have, that is the Irwin family that used that stagecoach I mentioned before. The Irwin family was tremendous. They, uh, they held and ran the Y6 ranch between here and uh, Torrington, Wyoming. And uh, C.D. Irwin is the big guy that sits in the first row with the big white shirt 
he was a phenomenal promoter of CFD. And from the time that he uh, won the steer roping championship in 1900 to his unfortunate death in 1934, he was constantly talking to friends across the United States, uh, drumming up support about CFD. And he got his family involved. Almost everybody you see in that picture is a family member or a member of his ranch that was involved with the rodeo. Uh, the lady over there in the top left is his daughter, Frances Irwin. Joella is uh, the lady in the white shirt up at the top. But then we have his own cowboys like Clayton Danks and his brother, Jimmy Danks, that are over on the top right. Uh, Captain Hardy was a trick shooter. He's the only man with a gun in the picture. He's the guy with the mustache. <laughs> I mean, it was a tremendous number of people. And we even had Jane Bernandi, who was uh, a cowgirl who did uh, trick shooting and uh, fancy roping, sitting right next to C.B. Irwin in that black shirt. Uh, and on the other side of him is his son. Um, just a tremendous family. You can see pictures of their Wild West show that they took all over the United States above them. They're worth a tribute because we consider them to be the first family of CFD. And there are a number of really interesting photographs and captions all around that display as well. Indeed. Yeah, we talk a lot about their history because even though, even though they, were they were not just ranchers, uh, they were also tremendous athletes in their own right. Like I said, C.B. Irwin won the steer roping contest in 1900. His daughters, his daughters and women who've married into his family consistently won the Denver Post ladies relay race all the way into the 1920s. Um, I mean, it's an amazing contribution by one family to get our event off the ground. They were just an amazing bunch of people. So much to see, so much to see. Yes, and we haven't even left the rotunda yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so here it is. Well, we're talking about Western storytelling. You had mentioned something about having the images and the pictures and the artifacts. That's what makes the Old West Museum such a wonderful place is that we have examples and pieces going all the way back to the beginning of CFD's history, showing you all the people who are involved, what they used and what people might have experienced. Um, we talk about things that were and things that still are. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that was, but people still love talking about is the old chuck wagon races that used to be here at CFD. And the last run they had was in 1999. And ever since then, people said, oh, I wish we could bring that back. Uh, but we have lots of wonderful things. We have the last flag that flew over the last race, which was Canadian, because uh, the Cana their chuck wagons are, all come from Canada. They still run up in Calgary. But these pictures are of them and all racing here at CFD, and there's all the dynamism and action that we love to portray this wonderful event that once was. Down below that, that wonderful long picture that you see here, that picture says it all. Frontier Days at Shine Wyoming, the greatest show of its kind in the world. We certainly thought so. That picture was taken in 1912. And that picture is wonderful because you can see C.B. Irwin, several Native Americans, several of his cowboys, they're all in that panorama. And I loved how they got the whole audience to also stand up and be a part of that picture. And they continue to take panorama pictures like that all the way up until the 1930s. Uh, so that's a fun piece to see. These other pictures that you see here, that Maxwell, uh, Shine Frontier Days, everybody complains about parking. <laughs> but Shine Frontier Days has been deeply involved with automobiles in the car since 1906. Uh, and so uh, that Maxwell Briscoe is from 1906. I don't know if it still runs, but I've pushed it around the museum quite a bit. It's actually very fun to do. Um, that popcorn wagon, some people that live in Cheyenne might remember, used to be on the street corners selling popcorn in the Great Depression and after World War II, but eventually ended up working for Cheyenne Frontier Days as well. 
But there's lots of wonderful things that we can't see in that video from small buckles to loaned artifacts from other museums like the PRCA Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. We change that exhibit completely every year. And so if you've seen that once, you haven't seen it all. So it keeps changing and people should come back to see us because we don't know what we're going to have from year to year. We keep finding amazing new things to talk about. And I, I would imagine that people find themselves spending much more time in that room when they start to look at those details. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, our tour right now is only going to last about a half an hour with questions, but I have people that come there and expect only to spend about 15 to 20 minutes and end up spending four hours inside that building. It really is amazing because there's something to grab everybody's attention, uh, whether you're into where you like cowgirls, whether you like steer wrestling, whether you like uh, bullfighting bull and bull riding. There's a lot of interesting stuff that we even, of course, talk about the Thunderbirds, uh, which is uh, which is an amazing story because Cheyenne Frontier Days was the first public show that the Thunderbirds flew flew for in 1954. And I think that's just absolutely remarkable. And few people realize that it was uh, Cheyenne Frontier Days that uh, is the only venue on the Thunderbirds calendar that they continue to come back for every year. They make sure they come. That's fantastic. A question came up related to something that you mentioned a few moments ago. You said you change the exhibit every year. Roughly, how long does it take for you to actually change an exhibit? Well, we do it in stages and steps. We try and do it when nobody's looking, um, but uh, we usually start at the back and work our way forward. That exhibit, and including that rotunda case and the stuff that we have out there, we start changing in November, and by March of the next year, we've got a brand new show. And it's how far amazing. in advance? How far in advance do you plan those changes? We're already planning them now. Uh, so yeah, as soon as we open in March, we're getting ready to start the next year. No rest for the weary, Mike. None at all. It keeps us busy. <laughs> of course, now this is a wonderful shot. Of course, probably one of the most famous people associated with Cheyenne Frontier Days in the last 30 years is Lane Frost. Um, it's a very tragic thing that as a phen phenomenal young man, an absolutely spectacular athlete as a bull rider, that he would lose his life on July 30th, 1989 on the CFD grounds. There's a lot of people that still work for Cheyenne Frontier, Frontier Days, including myself, that remember where they were at that moment. And uh, it still remains a very indelible part, a very indelible experience, though painful for us to recognize the contribution that this man made to the history and sport of rodeo and also to Cheyenne Frontier Days. So we have pictures of him at the height of his glory. You can see him riding a bull at CFD uh, over there in the left. There's a wonderful picture of him in our ready area with some of his bull, with his, uh, bull riding rigging there. Beautiful picture. Uh, I believe that was shot by Mark Youngie, who is, uh, who's a newspaper man and a reporter. Or he was a reporter and book author here in Cheyenne. And then we continue to celebrate his legacy and his contribution to Cheyenne Frontier Days. Shortly after he passed in 1990, Wyoming artist Chris Navarro, who lives in Casper, Wyoming, uh, created that wonderful bronze statue of Chris Ledoux's last, or I'm not sorry, Chris Ledoux's, but uh, Lane Frost's last ride that you see uh, there in the picture in the upper right. Uh, so all of that remains a legacy for, for Lane Frost and Shine Frontier Days. And we have several items of his in our collection. We try and bring them out for people to see and enjoy every year as well. And Mike, uh, another question from the audience, how do you acquire new pieces? Or is it a mix of 
acquisition uh, as gifts? Do, are there purchases made? How do you acquire new pieces? For the vast majority of the things that we do at the museum, the new pieces we get, it is by donation. Uh, we're, we don't have to go very far. People recognize what the museum is doing to preserve the legacy of the rodeo and the rodeo community. And many people bring things to us as a donation. But in some instances where we find something that's out in the community that needs to be preserved, that has to be saved, we have spent our own money in the past or people have donated money for us to make purchases to add to our collection. So we try as much as we can to encourage people to donate uh, because it is a tax deductible thing that they could do and so everybody benefits. But if we, if we have to, we definitely keep our eye out in the community, try and find things that we think will help tell that story better than without. And so we go out and purchase as much as we can. Again, uh, keeps you busy, Mike. Very, very busy. I made kind of a Freudian slip. This is the next character, of course, that I want to talk about is making a tremendous contribution to Cheyenne Frontier Days. And then, of course, is Wyoming legend Chris Ledoux. Uh, there's almost nobody that lives in Wyoming that doesn't know who this man was. Uh, but what's probably fun is, is that he uh, originally came from Texas to go to school in Cheyenne and went to Cheyenne High School. And uh, as, after he graduated from high school or even before that, he saw Cheyenne Frontier Days. He loved it. He wanted to get involved with the rodeo. He snuck across fences. He even with some of his high school buddies uh, got somebody to sponsor them to do the wild horse race. And he only did it that once, I understand, because it didn't turn out really well. But he was able to sneak onto the grounds all the time. And eventually, after he graduated from high school, went up to uh, join the rodeo team at Casper College uh, and was educated up there at Casper College. Now, he continued to, his favorite sport was to ride bareback horses, and he rode here many times uh, for Cheyenne Frontier Days uh, as one of our contestants. And eventually, he won, I believe in the year it was 1974, he won the bareback championship at CFD. And then a couple of years later, he won the national finals rodeo. So he was an excellent athlete in his own right. Well, it's a lot of fun to think about is that when Chris Ledoux was doing this, he was a cowboy. He was trying to make ends meet. He wasn't making a lot of money. So he did sing. He loved singing and making songs. And so he wrote songs in his kitchen and then recorded them on cassettes and then came to sell them in one of our booths under the CFD grandstands. And some people bought them. A lot of cowboys started to really like his songs because he really sang from his heart about the sport of rodeo. And eventually one of those tapes ran, came into the hands of Garth Brooks, who was just becoming an absolute legend in the music industry in the early 1990s. He was performing at CFD. And when he mentioned that he had a worn out tape of Chris Ledoux's uh, in one of his songs, all of a sudden, all of Garth Brooks' fans wanted to know who this guy was. And then Chris Ledoux just catapulted to stardom. And we have this painting done by John Shellhart that you see there. That was of one of his shows here at CFD. Chris Ledoux was a wonderful and favorite uh, performer at Cheyenne Frontier Days through the 1990s and the early 2000s and uh, would always help Cheyenne Frontier Days as much as he could. If we had a cancellation, he would drop what he was doing and do a show for us. Um, and he was always a friend. He'd even come down and help set up the show sometimes. <laughs> but he was always just a really wonderful guy. And we, of course, when we lost him in 2003, we very deeply miss him uh, and his contribution. And so we have a lot of wonderful things in the gallery. That guitar is signed by him. And just off to the frame, uh, to the left, we have his bucking machine that he used to ride uh, when he was performing his, sh his shows here at Cheyenne Frontier Days. 
So we have that on loan from the family and people can come see that still. Remarkable display, Mike, remarkable. Oh yes. And here's one of our more modern guys. This is somebody that is up and coming and is becoming a legend just now. I mean, so I said, we're doing things that are in the past, but we're also keeping very, very current. Brody Cress is become, swiftly becoming a rodeo legend, specifically with us. He's a local cowboy, born and raised here in our area, and now has won Cheyenne Frontier Days for the last three years as Saddle Bronc champion. He is the only man to have done this. There is a woman that has done this before him in barrel racing, won three consecutive Cheyenne Frontier Days. But he's the first man to win three consecutive Cheyenne Frontier Days in Saddle Bronc. And as a testament to kind of what kind of person he was, he, we approached him and he was very willing to let us borrow all three of his back numbers from his championships. We have a couple of his buckles, except for his most current one. I think he's still wearing that one. I mean, he's still wearing it for bragging rights. But we have his hat. We have two of his saddles. It really is a remarkable thing that he's making this contribution. And we have yet to see whether or not that exhibit's going to expand because number four is just around the corner. I sure hope he gets it. It's so far so good. But I mean, this is a wonderful thing for us to have, uh, to have his trophy saddles, his hat, buckles, and back numbers right in the museum, right after his very historic victory just last Frontier Days. And as you say, it demonstrates how you're making history in the moment. Um, and as much as it saddens me, Mike, before you start talking about this part of the display, I have to give the five-minute warning on this. Uh, oh, so those who are listening, if they have other questions, feel free to throw them in and we'll try to sure. cover those before we wrap up. Um, but please tell us a little bit about this display. Okay. The other things that we do is we talk a little bit about the history of Miss Frontier, our rodeo queen who's recognized through the rodeo world. And here you have an evolution. That jacket right in the middle is the very first jacket to a Miss Frontier by the name of Jean Nemo Du Bois in 1931. And she's surrounded by an evolution of the famous buckskin outfit. And there at the very top center is one by Riley Anderson, who was Miss Frontier in 2017. So you can see the progression and all the wonderful things we have there that go all the way back to the past and all the way to the forward into the future. There we have a whole array of Miss Frontier banners at our, our art show gallery. And there's one of our art shows that was just, that is currently still up right now. Uh, in the Old West Museum that people could, could have come to see if it hadn't been for COVID-19. So some wonderful things there. Of course, if you'd like to continue, there's some other wonderful things that people might want to see that the museum does offer, that if they do come to see the museum, they will be able to see lots of other wonderful things from carriages, other artifacts, art shows. We have two major ones every year, the Western Spirit Show, which is just concluding now, and the big one in the summer called the Cheyenne Frontier Days Western Art Show, which brings artists from around the United States uh, to show, their, show the best Western art that can be found anywhere. Two questions that uh, yes. have come up, Mike, and, and maybe these are, this is a way to close. Uh, one is uh, there's a mix of rotating displays and then also fixed exhibits or ongoing exhibits that you have. And could you maybe speak about the difference between those two? Okay, every year we do try and bring in temporary exhibits from around the United States. We currently have one called Hurrah from the Cowboy uh, by uh, uh, Lee Silliman. And that talks about uh, the lithographs that people see in the old newspapers that would try to, would start sparking their imagination for cowboys. We've had several different shows. We try and bring in new shows like that every year that come from elsewhere that we aren't able to produce ourselves. So people can see something new that other people put together uh, discussing the history of the cowboy and ranching in the West. 
then, of course, we have permanent displays. One of the wonderful things that we have is that every year, CFD's carriage collection gets highlighted and is part of our displays. And so even after Cheyenne Frontier Days is over, those parade vehicles can be seen from people from around the world, and they are. Uh, that people come specifically to see this very unique carriage collection. And uh, we have textiles, as you see with Miss Frontiers. We also have firearms collections, and we have a permanent collection of Western art that we have on display year round. So you teed up the last question perfectly, Mike. Well done. Uh, one Thank of the you. questions that came from the audience was, uh, what is your favorite part of the museum or your favorite part of an exhibit? Oh, my goodness. That's so hard. <laughs> the exhibits change so much. I think that my favorite part of any exhibit or anything that I do at the museum is the fact that I don't know how I'm going to be exposed to the past, even as the curator. I uh, might open a box that I'm starting to do an investigation and find something that'll bring me right into the 1940s uh, with something that was happening with CFD history that I'd only read about. And here I'm holding something tangible that was actually there, that was being used by somebody. And I think that's probably one of the things that really makes this a unique museum, or all museums unique for that matter, is that the things that we have that are on display in our museum were there when the history was being made. And so it's a way to reach across time for people to interact with our ancestors. And it's also a way to see how they impact our world today. Uh, so it's really a wonderful thing to see in this museum. And it's never boring because I, the stories continue to just flow and there's no shortage of things to tell. Well, you obviously have a, a tremendous knowledge about it and passion for it. Um, as you and I talked about when we were, we were kind of prepping for the visual tour portion, there's so much that's available in the museum um, that, that we couldn't have covered even if we went farther uh, into this tour, but we didn't even cover 50% of what we had in theory to cover today. Um, so my encouragement would be for people when we have the chance and we can safely do so, to definitely come down and visit the museum. Our doors will be wide open as soon as they can be and we would love the company. Well, Mike, thanks for doing this today, um, highlighting some of the great pieces that people might not have been able to see and I hope a lot of people come down and see you. I really hope so too. Thank you very much, Eric, for this opportunity and I really appreciate everybody joining us this afternoon. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Have a great day.